Take two, my friend. Chris, hey, welcome back. I'm back. Woohoo. Back. How you feeling? Yeah, oh, 95%. You know, it's one of those things where you like <clears throat> I was I was sick for a good four days or something, just sleeping all day. And then um it got better, but I, I still feel like sluggish or tired a little bit. So it's been hard to like I tried to record yesterday. I tried to just do some regular coding this past week. It just didn't really, I couldn't do a whole lot. So I was just doing lots of support and catching up on things and not really able to get into any deep work, which this is frustrating, you know, it's what I want to do the most, but just couldn't get in the zone. So how you been? I'm good, man. Um, Extremely personal note, I stopped taking this medicine I've been taking for six years called Lexapro because I have crippling anxiety and depression, OCD, and all the fun things. Man, uh, how's it going? It's been hell. Uh, so I, come, I wanted to come off the medicine because there's a couple of side effects that just make my life, like my quality of life, like the mm-hmm. Like one of, one of them is actually like... I'm not an expert in any of this, but like one of the known side effects is like weight gain. Um, and like, I, I finally did some math. Like I was like 220 when I got married. That was 2012. Um, and then I started taking Lexapro shortly after that and like slowly, like just found I couldn't stop eating. Mm. And from what I've learned, like one of the side effects that can happen is like your, uh, something how it works in the brain like tells you you're you're actually not full yet, right? Uh, and it just messes with that. Yeah, and I was like, that makes sense because I eat like embarrassing amounts of food. Like we could order like a large pizza, and I'm like, I still hungry, and like, uh, <laughs> I mean, in college I could do that, but not anymore. <laughs> sure, like, but but there's also yeah. a point where like, yeah, you know, even you know, it's not it's not your natural state yeah and like there's a lot of things to play like i i eat my emotions uh Ooh, and i have lots I, of emotions. I do too i i've also got a bad sweet tooth yeah so like, i i'm not saying like it's just the medicine <sighs> reason i gained weight but like it kind of makes sense like no, definitely i think that's a it's a subtle thing too you know you'll you're like when you when they tell you that you're like ah oh, I'll, I'll probably be able to deal with that and then like it's slow and that's what gets you because you don't realize it until you're well past where you should be. And you're like, Oh crap. You know, yeah, like, like 130 pounds later, <laughs> I'm like, man, my quality of life's not so awesome. Like I want to play with my kids, but I get out of breath. So yeah, I was like, yeah. I don't know. So I was like, Hey doc, let's work on that. And he's like, sure. Uh, and worked on like a tapering off plan. It's like, I've tapered off and like, it's been awful. Like, uh, I'm happy to be off the medicine. Like, I get full eating, like, normal amounts of food, which is great. But I've been getting these, like, brain zaps, which is apparently a common thing where, like, uh, it feels like little, like, electric pulses to my head. And, like, every day around 2 o'clock, I, like, feel lightheaded. Like, almost like I'm getting achy, like I'm getting the flu. Huh. And then I've been just irritable. Like... I try to like be kind of like an upbeat, like, I don't know. I try not yeah. to be fake. But, like I try to like just be really positive and fun. And like these last two weeks, like 
the smallest things that irritate me. Like somebody told me the wrong rule playing a card game the other night, and I like wanted to flip the table. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I like is like my best friend in the world. I looked in the eyes, like I am, I am not mad at you. I am just mad at this situation for no good reason. So, <laughs> I yeah, I yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, you know we we have all these medicines and things and it's like, well, you know, there's, there's, it, it solves something, but it introduces other problems. So it's not, it's not like all of these are great. You know, they're not, we still have so much left to figure out and understand uh, on all that, that it's just frustrating because you can address one problem, but introduce two more or whatever with side effects. And that sucks. Totally. Yeah. And I, and I'm totally not like anti, um, like mental health, like brain medications. Like I, I take another one, um, which I, I'm not, um, I'm not sure that I wasn't just prescribed like speed because it like, <laughs> it gives me so much you, energy. You have to, like, do you have to snort the medicine <laughs> <laughs> or heat it up in a spoon and inject it? No, I I get it. Uh, <laughs> I get it from Walgreens from my pharmacist but uh anyway in the the back room you have have (laughs) to get it out by the dumpster sir you're gonna have to actually come inside the store you can't be in the drive-thru for this (laughs) but yeah no it's been a wild ride uh i also like i tweeted about it yesterday because it's kind of like a pretty crummy part of my life and like i i don't really want to talk about it like so like people like feel sorry for me. Cause like, I don't even really feel sorry for myself. Like it's just part of it. But like, I also, it's a I good thing. Really like people, I think people, if you don't have to deal with it, don't even think about it. So it's a, it's a good thing for you to talk about just so people know what's going on with other people, you know? Like yeah. It, it's a good thing to understand. This is, a lot of people are lucky and don't have to deal with that, but they don't even understand the things that you might be going through or whatever. And if they did know, they could, you know, be more, you know, like if you, if you are irritable, instead of them being like, God, I hate Jason. You'd be like, okay, it's not his, it's not his fault that he's feeling irritable. It's just like, you know, the side effect of this drug or whatever, you know, getting off of it and all of that. So it's, you know, I think you can just understand better when people talk about those things. I think it's good. Yeah, that that's a big driving factor is because, like, my friend the other night was like, you're being really cheeky, and I love it. But, like, because uh, <laughs> it, like, I don't know, I'm very passive aggressive when I'm irritable, and I guess, like, it, he finds it amusing. Um <laughs> And so, like, but, but at the same time, like, I want people to know that. So, like, like you said, like, I don't want people to be like, oh, this dude's just a jerk. Like, I mean, right, yes, like, I am. Like, people may not find it funny. And- <laughs> right. Like, I am being a jerk and I might be short and, like, yeah, it, and- there's not an excuse for it. But, like, I do want people to be aware, like, hey, this isn't, like, who I am. Like, yeah. and the other thing, too, is. I guess I wish more people talked about it because like when I try and find information about like coming off this medicine, like people list the side effects. Like they're like, yeah, I felt this or I felt this, but I don't know. I guess I just 
if other people do this, I want them to know, like, you're not crazy. Like this is, Mm -hmm. this is a wild ride. Like, uh, I've never had to like come off any type of like substance addiction or anything like that. Um, I've never thought it's easy like for people to do that, but I am even more empathetic to like that type of journey now. So yeah, totally. Anyway. So, uh, that's, you know, casual lighthearted news that's been going on. Uh, that, and I got hacked. Mm. Cool. Um, Do you set your password uh, to password? I said it to, I love Chris Oliver six one nine. And, uh, no, I, now everybody's going to know that you better change it. Crap. Uh, no, I, I am a, I am a password repeater. Um, the, I got one password years ago and I use it religiously minus the part where it's like, you should have a different password and we'll like even generate it for you. I'm like, no, nah, I don't need that. Um, and That's then I hilarious. got, I got listed on the pwned, like have I been pwned, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but it was one of my old email addresses. And I was like, no, that'd be all right. I don't use that email address with that password anymore, which was just, I was lazy. And so I was talking to Shannon uh, Wednesday and I was like, Oh, did you just log into Netflix? I just got an email cause she was at her mom's house. So she was like, no. And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Cause it said this person logged in in Columbia. I was like, all right, like I'll just log in real quick and change the password. And literally before I could even finish that thought, I got an email that said your email address has been changed. And I was like, well, that's going to be a problem. And then not, not 10 seconds later, your password has been changed. I was like, well, Shana, I need to let you go. Um, not like, not that Netflix is this like revealing thing about me. Like I'm pretty open about like what I watch and stuff even, but I just, anytime like somebody hacks my account, I just feel violated. Mm-hmm. Of course. And so I was like, I called Netflix and they're like, Hey, can you give us, can you log in and give us the pin number? And I was like, I wish like, otherwise I wouldn't be calling you. Um, but they were like, yeah, we see that they changed the email, the password, but luckily they haven't watched anything and in my head. I was like, what does that matter? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. like, uh, Oh, you just reminded me one time at, so it, at one of my old jobs, uh, we had this shared iMac that was in the office and uh, we, we play music on for the office on Spotify on there. And one, one night we were having, um, we were having a meetup and I remember going to that and then turning on SSH and I went back to my laptop and I just remotely would log in and then change uh, and just repeatedly continuously just like every time I would go change it to Justin Bieber or something, my boss would go over there and be like, what is going on and change it to whatever he wanted to listen to. And I'd go and change it back. (laughs) It took him a long time to figure out it was me. And I I had like a wireless mouse that I connected to it from across the room as well. And I just jiggle it whenever, whenever he was over there, he was like freaking out. (laughs) Dude, those are the best stories. Uh, I have a similar story I want to share. Uh, I'm always weird about 
following up a story with a story because I'm not trying to like one up you. I have a similar story where like I did the same thing. I had a Mac at work and like this is when I worked at the music store and our location used to be a car dealership, a smaller car dealership. So like one side was like the showroom and the other side was like where the mechanics worked. Mm-hmm. so the way we had to buy it up was like the showroom is like where we sold pianos and like, you know, the nicer air quotes things. And then like the other was called like the garage band, which was like kind of a cool name. Nice. Uh, so there are like two separate buildings and my, like I worked on the piano side. Uh, and so like I would, all, <laughs> I had this coworker who's like one of my friends. He's probably in his like late seventies. Uh, early 80s and self-proclaimed like doesn't know much about technology <laughs> so i would always go over to the other side and just blast miley cyrus party in the usa <laughs> and like walk over there and he's like your computer's been hacked and like screaming at me like banging on the keyboard <laughs> that's uh, hilarious and then also one time we got a an open sign that had a like a remote to it and so me and my friend Matt, we convinced him that the on sign was like a clap on, clap off kind of thing. So like uh, Matt kept the remote in his pocket and I clapped and we would turn on. And then like I clapped and he would turn it off. And we were like, oh, har har. Like that's a funny joke. Until the next morning we came in and one of our coworkers said, we came in here at closing time and Ron was standing on a ladder clapping at the open sign because it wouldn't turn on and off. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I was like, oh no, now I feel bad. And then he put on Facebook, he's like, I've been had by the clap. And I was like, Ron, Ron, I don't know if that was the best choice of terms. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's great. Oh my gosh, sorry. This is the, the digress episode. But anyway, so... I listened to one password and I reset all 100 of my passwords that were considered vulnerable because they were the same. Yeah. That's the, that's the, you know, trap of, I, I was, I always like hand wrote a password. Like I'm really good about doing passwords that are just generated by LastPass. Um, except for when it's like, you know, an app on your TV or on your printer connecting to the Wi-Fi network or something like that, where you have a really crappy interface for typing. The last thing I want to do is use a 36 character password with special characters and all this crap because it takes like 20 minutes to type in because you, you miss one thing and then it takes you, you know, another five minutes to go and redo it. And then, Oh yeah, missed something else. And it's just like a nightmare. So then, yeah, I do have several of those where I'm like, I have tr- very trivial passwords on purpose for a few things. And I'm like, uh, I should I should go fix those. It's annoying. I, I think um, LastPass always is good about, like, they analyze your account. So whenever you log in or whatever, it's like, hey, just a reminder, like, you have this many accounts with the same password. You should go yeah. update those. Which One is really nice. You. They call it Watchtower, and I just always ignore it because I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're like, this is just annoying stuff to deal with. So you can really easily be like, I'll deal with it later. It's kind of like, um, like when you have a really bad production problem, you like don't worry about it until it affects you, and then it's mm-hmm. too late. Yeah, like having backups in place. 
And I was going to say, for anyone listening that is, you know, implementing device or something, make sure that you enable the feature that when someone changes their email, they have to confirm it with a link in the email. Because if you don't do that, then I can break into your account, change your email, and you can never recover your account ever again. And we can't look it up either because the old email was not in the database anymore. So, you know, that kind of stuff is very, very scary. So make sure you have that. I'm really lucky that Netflix like knew my old password or excuse me, not my, my old uh, email. Cause they're like, yeah, we see this change. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they made me confirm with like the last eight of my credit card. And I was like, cool. Like this works. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully that wasn't a scam. The, the scammer that you called that was like, <laughs> what is your full credit card number? And you're like, Oh sure. Absolutely. Like, no. Dang it. <laughs> uh, the one thing nice about having like an Apple TV and an iPhone is that, you know, I got logged out. So I had to re log in and I had this like absurd password, but Apple was like, Oh, we know this is Netflix and we have this stored in your iCloud password keychain. Mm-hmm. We can just mm-hmm. autofill this for you. And I was like, I want to fly out to Cupertino and hug everyone right now. <laughs> Dude, my favorite is when. You go to like your friend's house and you pull up your iPhone and you're like, hey, what's your Wi-Fi password? And then they open their phone and like tap a button to share the password and that's it. And you're like, you're like, holy crap, this is sweet. Like, it's such a good idea. This is the future. I love that stuff. Like, those are the small details that make such a good experience, but most things are super clunky because they don't implement little details like that, but they're hugely valuable. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I know we're at like 20 minutes of personal updates, but the last, the last update I have is last week I was working and my internet went out, you know, I work from home and so I was like, Oh, this sucks. Like I'll just go to Starbucks. So I went to Starbucks and the power went out at Starbucks And I was like, maybe I shouldn't work today. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Yeah. But when I came back home, (laughs) Comcast, so they'd clearly been working on my internet, like our neighborhood. There's like two utility boxes that sit, like one in my neighbor's yard to my left, one in my neighbor's yard to my right. And I guess that's how they like, you know, I guess they run cable underground, like in these like X number amount of feet. And then these little boxes are just like how they run to. Uh Uh-huh. Which makes sense, like, then you don't have, like, hundreds of feet of cable you're working with. But I guess something went wrong with our cable, and their stopgap was, like, uh, okay, well, we'll just run our our Comcast cable from that box outside along, essentially, my front yard to the other box. <laughs> so that I can literally walk outside and cut that cable and just take down the whole neighborhood. <laughs> oh, man. You should do that just before you leave for the weekend or something. Oh, <laughs> just like well, mow over it with a push mower or something. <laughs> but then I won't be able to watch Netflix, which I recently got my account back for. So. That's funny. I'm I, I'm excited because uh, AT and T's been uh, there's this big apartment loft building that's being finished, and I think AT and T's running fiber to that building or something 
and I'm hoping that I can finally get the, like the corner of my block now has uh, like a panel underground through the sidewalk um, and at and is doing a ton of work over here. So I'm hoping that I can get gig gigabit fiber. I really hope so. I, I literally check cause they have AT&T fiber in Memphis. I literally check probably once a month if it's available. Like literally right now I'm typing in my address because you said AT&T Fiber. <laughs> yeah. When you go to like AT&T.com, um, I can put in my address and it's like, yeah, you can get five megabits or a hundred. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want dial up. Like, what are you talking about? Like, and when I call, I called their support and they were like, yeah, the hundreds over fiber. Like, um, you what? know, it's, it's over a fiber cable. And I was like, well, then why can't I get a thousand? Just turn like, it on. Just flip the switch. What are you so, doing? So I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that, um, when, cause they're, my neighbor got a, a text message that said that their super fiber was available at his house. He's two, two houses down further away from the AT&T stuff. Um, than I am, but I don't have right now AT&T as my internet provider. Um, so when I go to the link that, that when I go to the link that he got on the text message, it redirects me to like a login page for existing customers Um, and it, and it shows that, but it makes me wonder if I signed up for a month and paid for internet that I might not use, I might be able to sign up and then immediately upgrade to the gigabit. And uh, I just was like, I don't know if I want to pay the 50 bucks just to gamble and see if I could get that. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like at that point, could you just call customer service and be like, Oh, I have six times. The first person told me I could, but it was a year contract. Um, and so I was like, cool, I'll just call back after I go double check and see if I'm in a contract my, with my current service. And then I called back five times and every single person was like, yeah, we, we don't offer gigabit internet to your house. <laughs> and I was like, but I just talked to someone that did. And I was like, God. So yeah, I don't know what's going on, but they're like, you know, their customer support reps and, and salespeople like just have whatever's available in their software. So they can really only see what I can see online, which sucks. Um, cause I was like, can't you just escalate me to someone who knows more about this? Just please. I just, I just want to give you my money and you won't take it. So I'm hoping they update that online soon. Cause it would save me hours of uploading time for go rails, just uploading, you know, a gig for a video to YouTube and to Wistia. It's just frustrating. It takes so long. And then you upload it and you're like, Oh no, I didn't resize or like move my webcam around correctly. I have to do this all over again. It's the worst. Mm, sounds so painful. So you were you brought up something about uh, TurboLink's Android before we were recording. Um, what's what's the new thing? What's the news on that? So I don't remember how I stumbled across it. Um, I was just floating down the interwebs, and I read. Like on the Android TurboLink's Android Wiki page, that TurboLink's Android One X is deprecated. And for those who don't know, um, maybe you know about TurboLink's, but you don't know about like TurboLink's Android or iOS, they have these adapters uh, Basecamp does that they've written. So like when you use the Basecamp app, you are using like 
a native iOS or Android shell, and then just essentially like web views that are powered by Turbo Links. Yeah. Um, so like they embed the Basecamp website into the app, but then if if I remember right, basically every Turbo Links click will go pass through the app for processing and then it checks to see if it's approved or not and if it is it will go load it and then things you can intercept there and say like well you clicked on the settings link and we want to have a native settings page we're going to show you that native view instead or whatever so that's kind of how the turbolinks mobile stuff works is it just like watches every request and then chooses do we allow it in the browser or do we drop out to a native thing? Yeah, it's it's a really fascinating approach. Um, Chris, I think you've mentioned before or maybe you mentioned earlier when we were talking, like it is wild though because like it's not something that they really talk about a lot. Like these two libraries, like they talk about Turbolinks and Stimulus, but like. Yeah, you never hear anything about the mobile stuff and people don't really write tutorials or anything on it either so uh, it was one of those things that like it's sort of but part of it is like if you want to do anything native with this um you do need to know all of the android libraries and the ios libraries and be able to code in swift or java or kotlin or whatever so that's like makes it tougher to use these than react native because for the most part you get to just use react on on that but i i do think that you you would get a lot more of a native feel if you're using more native code yeah um the, basecamp's like you know they're they're not a big company per se like and you know like no they're of, they're pretty small like 50 people yeah, and they like they pride themselves on that, which is cool. Um, but like part of those fifty people is, I believe, like an Android developer and like uh, an iOS developer. If yeah, not if yeah, there, it's it's only like one or two people or whatever, and I'm sure everybody else kind of understands what's going on with it, but not sure. actively or full time on it. And so that's why, like this approach, you know, I'm I'm guessing like that makes sense for them, like. You have people. You have a couple of people who know those APIs and like know those languages, and then they can just tie it into like the rest of the app that the other devs are working on. Like it's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so Android. Uh, I read this article that version one is the adapter is being deprecated for Android, and I was like, huh. I mean, it's, so, and it's being deprecated without any future solution yet, right? Right. There's like an idea of how it might work, but. Yeah. So essentially like, you know, I, I know nothing about Android programming, um, but like I, I want to, but the only time I've really done Android is like with React Native, which isn't really Android programming. And so I know enough to know that there are uh, this, there's a concept of activities in Android and if I understand from reading this like deprecation article, um, since like Turbolinks loads these web pages, they use web views, which are like a set of APIs and components, like actually available in iOS and in Android. They're just implemented differently. 
and so like on the web, like in Safari or Chrome or Firefox, when you open a Turbolinks app, and I'm air quoting here, um, it lo- like the idea is that, hey, let's load all the CSS and JavaScript that we need. And then let's just keep that here in the browser because like the browser's always loaded it. And then we'll just swap out the body tag, right? Like that's kind of the premise of Turbolinks in high levels. Mm-hmm. And so the way they do that on Android is they just load one web view component. And then when the activity changes, instead of throwing away the web view, they just detach it and attach it to this new activity. Right. So it's like keeping your tab between windows or something like on your desktop. Right. Right. And, uh, so it's, it's pretty fascinating, but I, something happened where that approach won't work anymore. And if I tried to explain the technical details, I'd be an idiot. Um, but they, I think it happened in Chromium 64. And so they actually had a patch for it, but they said, Hey, this is a pretty leaky patch. And like the vibe I got was we don't want to just like build, you know, build our, our Android app or you build your Android app around kind of like hacks and so they said, we're just going to deprecate this. And we, we have a, a general idea of how we're going to fix it. And like in the blog post, it talks about, and you told me this earlier, like Basecamp on their like Android says using more Kotlin. And so they're like, we're, we're working on like a 2.0 adapter. But for right now, we don't know when that'll be released. Hopefully 2019. Uh, we don't know what it'll look like, but we, it's possible. So here we are. And I was like, man. A kudos to them for like staying on top of that and like wanting to not just like like put the hack out there. Uh but B, that's gotta suck. Like doing all that work to make this like Turbolinks abstraction. And then Chromium's like, nah, we're gonna change this public API and it like shutters everything. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of well, it feels like, you know, any of those situations like we talk about when we're developing Rails apps where you know, the more gems you have, the less control in the future you have. So like, you know, the the library decides to take a different direction in version 2.0 or something that you don't need or want, and you're kind of stuck. And, you know, that it's effectively the same thing. They've taken a direction in Chrome um, or Chromium on mobile that they didn't want for, or doesn't work for Turbolink. So they now have to find a new workaround for that. And that's kind of painful to deal with, especially in a situation like this, that sounds like there isn't a reasonable replacement for it, or it's not like, Oh, just use this other thing. It's like, well, there may not be a solution that's reliable or good at all. um, Right now, at least. So that sounds kind of rough. Yeah. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll link through the show notes. I, it's fascinating to me though, um, and I'm, you know, they don't talk a lot about it. It's something I've tried to use a couple of times, but uh, yeah, just... I've I've used it a bit, and it's great. Um, you just have to be. It's definitely, I would say, the best if you don't plan on having any native stuff. Like it's so easy to drop in. You just have to be aware 
which is one of my frustrations with TurboLinks is that, um, and I, I've, there's an open issue on TurboLinks that I created a while ago that was like, well, okay, you've introduced these mobile views uh, or adapters and TurboLinks handles all get requests, but why doesn't Rails have a way of handling form errors by default? Because the TurboLinks Rails integration, that gem, uh, we'll check and see if TurboLinks is enabled and make a, if you make a request that knows TurboLinks was on, then it can use and replace the redirect to, instead of doing a normal 302 redirect, it can actually send back a TurboLinks visit and clear cache um, response as JavaScript, which is awesome. But when a form fails, uh, you need to actually re-render the, the form with the errors and all the content. And they don't have a way of handling that, which is like the required piece to actually use Turbolinks, Android, and uh, iOS. Because those, um, by default, don't allow any post requests. Uh, because the, the post request, by default, is going to blow away all your CSS and JavaScript and... Um, and then reload it, which is the one thing that you don't want to do on mobile. You don't want to re-download that. Um, and so then it won't feel native. And so that was like turned off by default, but with no solution built into Turbolinks, which seems strange. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things they still have some rough edges that they need to address. And it wouldn't be that hard. There's been in that thread, like a bunch of other solutions that are pretty solid, but they just haven't included any of them yet. And it's like, just do something like give us some solution. Just even if it's not perfect, some starting place would be good. So we could go and like contribute to making it better, but we just need some sort of decision on a starting point. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so kind of shifting gears, um, I will punt your way. We talked about a little bit of like auto loading threading. Mm, yes. Yeah. I would love to uh, to hear about that some more, and I'm sure people listening would as well. Yeah, so I, this is um, something that I, I haven't written a lot of threaded code in the past few years. I did I did more in school, like you know, in, in university classes, like just exploring and learning about threaded uh, stuff. But um, one of the things that Rails does is the reloader. And there's actually in the guides on Rails a new, I think it's even tagged as a work in progress um, article here called Threading and Code Execution in Rails. Um, and this is really interesting because Rails does uh, concurrent stuff now, especially with active job. Like it's got to run those jobs asynchronously um, and stuff. And so it's it's basically... Rails is trying to handle the concurrency stuff for you so you don't have to deal with it, which is good. But one of the situations I was having recently was um, I was using Sidekick to deploy stuff with Hatchbox, of course, and um, deploying to a cluster where I have to go and install, you know, or clone the re Git repo on five different machines. I want to do that in parallel. So I had Sidekick Batch uh, as the gem doing that, but there's some issues with it with recent versions of Sidekick where the open source 
thing doesn't work. Um, and you can pay for the Sidekick Pro version, but I didn't really, uh, the basically the cost of that was just kind of high for this project right now. Um, but the open source one didn't work at all. So I was like, you know what I'll do is I'll just write my own threaded version of this uh, in a Sidekick job and that should be good enough. And yeah, it sort of worked. And then my sidekick jobs would just hang permanently in development. And I had no way to really figure out what was going on. I could like print different put statements in there. Nothing would really tell me what was going on. And it was basically just getting into a deadlock somewhere. And I figured out because a friend of mine told me um, to look into this article here and basically check out um, the the reloader because this is what in development will reload your uh, classes so every time you change something in development you don't have to restart your rails app that is part of all of this stuff that's going on so it's reloading your classes and modules and things and i had written mine incorrectly and some of the stuff in the guides will tell you like if you're going to use modules, actually explicitly write out the module and don't put class, module, colon, colon, whatever. Definitely put it as a module and then nest the class inside of it. And that helps the reloader to actually find the right things. And uh, it turns out that was actually the issue that I had had because I was writing that in the wrong style. So I had to go back and rewrite a bunch of that code and just kind of nest it differently and that fixed my problem. It was really interesting, but uh, I would recommend reading that Rails guide if you're interested in how some of that stuff works. It's really cool. I uh, I mentioned this earlier, but I've written, I've actually never written th- uh, any kind of like threaded code. Now mm. I think about it. Maybe I did. Maybe like when you mentioned in school, maybe I did there. Yeah, I should I should make a screencast on this because. Um, I don't think a lot of people have in rails and Puma and everything will basically do all that for you. Like they, they make it so you, you don't have to worry about it for 99.9% of what you write. Um, and that's good. But if you ever need to do stuff in parallel, uh, you're going to have to write some threaded code and that would be a great, uh, great screencast to make. Cause it's, it's really straightforward. Like you write an array and say like, I want to create five threads that will do this work and you do the work inside of a block inside of the thread. And then at the end of creating all those threads, you say thread.join and your main process will just sit there and wait until all of your threads have completed before it goes and continues. And so it's really straightforward how to do it. You have to be careful not to modify, you know, global variables or whatever, because things need to be thread safe. And you, uh, we can include some links on more about learning about thread safety and stuff like that. Um, but it's something I probably can't super well explain because I haven't done a whole lot of it recently. Um, but you, you can end up doing things where your threads effectively are running at the same time, but they can be interrupted at random. And so if you are doing something where two of them are modifying a variable that's global, one could change it to a value and then the other one changes it to a different value. And the first one sees the new value from the other thread that it wasn't expecting and things can go wrong that way. So threading can be quite complex 
but it also isn't that hard. So, yeah, I'm really fascinated by it because, like, I I've talked with uh, well, like when I've worked like with Hanami, they're like, you know, Hanami is thread safe by default. Um, and I've talked with some other developers who like work on libraries and talk about thread safety. I'm like, oh, that sounds really nice. And that's about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I want to learn more about it. I just, uh, I don't know much about it. Yeah. I think it's a thing that, um, y- you need it if you're doing that kind of work, but a lot of times we don't really need that kind of work. Um, so it's, it's something you don't, you don't need to deal with or you pay for sidekick and you let, or use sidekick open source and you let it deal with it and you just write your, the work you need to get done and uh, let sidekick deal with that for you. So it's kind of nice in the community that you don't have to deal with any threading related things for the most part. Yeah, no, it's nice. There's a, I'll say that for another time. (laughs) There were, were, Kind of running out of time. There are a couple more things I just want to talk about real quick. Yeah. Um, first is I was on Reddit where I recently realized I spent a lot of time, but only on the Ruby subreddit. Um, there's a gem release called Suggest RB. And <clears throat> I'm kind of like paraphrasing what I read earlier this week. It was inspired by apparently some kind of library or something, some kind of similar concept in Smalltalk. And essentially what it is, um, is you give, you give this, you call this method on an object and for, for the sake of what I'm talking about, you know, everything in Ruby is an object. So you call it on like an instance of an array or something like that. And let me look up the exact method name. I think you call like, you say what returns is the name of the method. Yeah, what underscore returns question mark. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So like the first example is I have an array and it has three values, one, two, and three. I can call a method on that array that says what returns and my argument is one. I want to know what I can call on this array that returns the value one. And if I, I'm going off like what I remember the doc saying, I think it'll return an array of like symbols uh-huh. and it's like you can call first or min on right. this array and get that value. Right. Yeah, because you have one, two, and three in there. So one being the first value, that would give it to you. And then min being the one that finds the smallest number, same thing. And so if you you had them in different order, um, like one might be last, and it would give you last and min. It's pretty cool. It's like a interesting thing. It's it's weird because, um, you know, what if you t- what if the arguments take uh, or what if the method takes arguments? Then how does all that work? It's kind of it's got to be more complex than it seems. Yeah, uh, it's crazy because you can give it arguments. Um, I think because we looked at mm-hmm. you and I pulled up the source code and like it has an arguments uh, keyword argument in the method, and then also I wonder if, those, also- I wonder if that is like optional arguments, like if we pass this in, but what if we didn't necessarily pass it in? I imagine they're kind of like, you know, find all methods that take either one or zero arguments or whatever and try oh, that. Because yeah. I'm assuming it just calls all the methods on there that, that have the correct number of arguments and then 
sees if the results match, I guess. It's kind of cool. Yeah, and the other thing it'll give you is, I can't remember the exact name. You may have the docs pulled up. It's like a way to avoid like getting methods back that'll mutate the object. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it looks like allow mutation. True yeah, okay, the inverse of that, sorry. Uh, but yeah. I just think that's so fascinating. Like, never. So it'll, it'll even check and see if the original array or object you had was changed, which is neat. That's super cool. It's so cool. I never, in like a thousand years, would have thought, you know, this would be a good idea. Like, I never would have thought of the idea. And now, like, I can, I can think of so many times I'm programming and, like, just. Uh, for back, lack of a better like phrase, it's like throwing things against the wall, seeing if they stick. Like, yeah, will this method like, do this? Like, does this, this method kind of, exist? Right. This this kind of gets back to, I guess, the like. There's a philosophy that Alan Kay had in programming that was very like human focused, of kind of like design your your programming language so that, um like this effectively like you can go and ask your programming language how to get the result you want and that's not something that normal languages these days even think about and it's just a way of like having the code and the programming language communicate with the developer in an interesting way and we don't see that that much anymore it's so like you know, deliberate for most programming where you have to already know, you have to go look up the docs, you have to know what you're trying to accomplish, and then you have to go find out what's the method name or how do I do that myself instead of, you know, being able to guess or ask the programming language how to do it. It's interesting. It's very cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Uh, So I'm excited to use it. And, you know, even if like... Even if it saves me like three minutes a day, like I'll take it. Especially because yeah. it's free. It's a gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure there there's lots of improvements that can be made or whatever to add cool new features and stuff. So yeah, it seems awesome. I like it. Um, so that was cool. And then the last thing I want to mention is a project I I literally just told you about. So I've shared this with you. I'll share it here. Like I started the year by writing, uh, well, I ended last year and started this year by writing two blog posts. The first of which was like goodbye 2018 is I think what I called it. Cause a lot of people write like their year in reviews mm-hmm. and like, I wasn't planning on writing one, but I was like, what would mine look like? You know, like thinking about it. And I was like, man, like there are some good things, but like, I didn't really do a lot of like things I guess I like wanted to do, um, which, you know, is a lot of like, I, I don't know. I like want to build stuff and I want people to use it. And I think a lot of like the last two years, I spent a lot of that time uh, wanting to do that and make money off of it, which I don't, which I don't think is a bad goal. Like, uh, Oh, of course mean, not. Yeah. Because uh, what I'm about to say kind of, I don't want that to be the implication uh, but like, I think for me, like things shifted, like money just became the goal over like just actually wanting to help people and like build cool stuff and like scratch my own itch. And I think it really kind of muddied up the water for me. And so like my plan for this year is just to like build stuff and like 
do things to like help people because, you know, like I, I have a good day job, you know, and like my financial needs are met. So like, what if I just did stuff cause I wanted to do it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so like, I mean, what am I, go ahead. I was going to say that's, <clears throat> that's effectively where go rail started. You know, like I was just like, well, I'll buy a domain and I will document my own, uh, rails like processes and just publish that online because I want to keep notes for myself, but I might as well help other people and share it. And then it turned into, you know, it, that, that stuff always works out that way because, you know, if, if you're actually helping people, then they're willing to give you money because you're really helping them. Um, and that, that's a much more natural way of making stuff that, that works, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, and it sounds more fun. Like now that like I have like drawn this line, the sand, like, you know, one day if I can like build something that like pays my bills, like this is totally cool or like makes some side change. But like now that for right now I've like drawn this line in the sand, I'm like, I don't want to even think about the money part. Like I just want to like build stuff. Like I feel so much more like relaxed <laughs> and like mm-hmm. excited to do stuff. So all that to say, like one thing, you know, I've talked about is, um, like you, you do go rails and you do uh, shout out these really great videos on like for like people who are already riding Ruby and rails for the most part. And uh, there's a lot of like beginner content out there, but like a lot of it's kind of starting to stale a little bit, not all of it, but some of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think for this year, like I want to like try and like help beginners like get into Ruby, right? Like mm-hmm. whether that's like making videos or like, writing blog posts or whatever. Uh, but one of the first things I thought about was like, if I'm new to Ruby or maybe new to programming, what's like a hurdle that gets in the way. And for me, that was like installing Ruby is easy for me now, but it, if you're not like super well versed in programming, it could probably be like, you've never opened the terminal before. Right. Uh, so I was like, I want to build like essentially what was like try Ruby but is where you just like, it's not necessarily guided. You can just type code in and run it. Like you, you wouldn't even have to install Ruby. Right. You just go to the browser and yeah. like. Yeah. I think that's in. why Codecademy was so successful. You know, like you can go learn JavaScript and Ruby and whatever else without ever having to, and, and Code School too. Like they had the online interpreters. I, th- I think you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, Code School is now a plural site. And if you go to tryruby.org, it just takes you to plural site. Um, mm, so those and, have kind of fallen away. We yeah. Need, need a replacement. And so, like, essentially what I want to do is, like, I think this year, like, a thing I think about doing is writing, like, a set of tutorials or, like, some kind of ebook just for, like, the fundamentals of, like, Ruby. Like, just the beginning stuff. Uh, aimed at people who don't use Ruby who maybe want to experiment with it. And so this was the first step of that is give these people a place to go and try out this Ruby without having to install it. And so uh, there is, uh, I have a friend, he used to be one of my coworkers, who is, I consider to be like the most intelligent person I've ever met. And I don't say that lightly. And so I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, how would you approach this? Um. Just, I called him on a Friday seeking his input. And by Friday night, he had pretty much coded up half of it for me. And 
uh, it's really cool um, for those interested. What essentially instead of like building like a, a sandbox version of Ruby that like an API hits with like Ruby code and then it returns a result, this actually just runs in your browser uh, using WebAssembly. So he has taken Ruby two six zero used M script in and some other libraries, I think, and basically taken Ruby 2.6.0 and just put it into a WebAssembly module that then when you type in these commands or you like, you can write classes out, you can any kind of Ruby code. And then you click run it just without leaving your browser, just goes to this WebAssembly module, compiles that Ruby and returns the result right there in the browser. (laughs) That's super cool. It's pretty freaking cool. Uh, so essentially all I ended up doing was making the aesthetic of it and we just made it like a, it's just a create react app and that's great. It's awesome. So anyway, uh, I want to talk about, I want to talk about that cause I'm going to release it before we release this episode and it's going to be run rb.io R U N R B dot I O. Nice. I like it. I want to call it runner B. Ooh. Okay, I like it. So, like, because uh, if you just look at run RB and you don't know that RB is a Ruby extension, it's like, what? Uh, you call it runner B. It's a fun little name. Yeah, <laughs> so. you can have a, a logo as a B with some, you Dude, know, like running clothes on and shoes. Right now, the logo is a Ruby with legs. <laughs> Perfect. It's so dumb, but I love it so much. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, I'm excited. Yeah. Is it up now? No. Uh I thought I thought it was. I worked on it a couple of weeks ago and then I just went to the domain before we started and it's not there. <laughs> so <laughs> But uh, it but it will be there when it will be before I de- before we release this little world, I'm gonna deploy it and I don't expect it to be perfect. Um like right now it's re- I think it's only the standard it may not even include like even the standard library. Like you can't like require CSV right now, but like those are things I'm going to add. Um, but yeah, it's a good start and uh, that's cool. Too, like, man. You can go to it from your phone. Like if you're like, I wonder you're thinking about Ruby and want to see if something works. Like, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It reminds me of, uh, I use that rubular.com all the time for uh, regex testing and everything. Like, mm. Having a similar site with just some Ruby code in there would be great because I, I pretty regularly open up a IRB console and I'm like, can I do this and try something out? And uh, you know, being able to do that in the browser would be really easy. I so. should. I have to talk to I have to talk to Will because I run everything by Will because he's a genius. What if Runner B, uh auto loaded that suggestion or that can I use what's it called? Suggest mm-hmm. RB mm-hmm. and then you can all you could just open up the website, give it an object or an instance and be like, can I run this? That'd be cool. Yeah. And isn't there or is it built in I forget the name of the library, the one that's like uh fixes typos mean? for you. Yeah. Did you mean yeah. yeah. That'd be sweet to have too. Yeah. Um you should definitely allow, I mean, the, I'm already making feature requests and it's not live yet, but uh, uh, you should make it so that we can save those snippets or something so that, that we can like, you know, 
write something out and then come back and reference it later or whatever. Yeah, that's definitely uh, on my idea list. It's not something I have like right now, but yeah. it's cool. Well, it, I'm sure people use it and be like, this is broken. Are you going to keep it uh, private or open source or what's the plan? Uh, right now it's private. I mean, I'm not opposed to open sourcing it, but um, because I don't understand all of the technical details, uh, I don't know. I just talked to Will about it. Will Glenn, shout out. Smartest person I know. <laughs> awesome. I'm cool excited man. to see this. Uh, well, we did it. We talked for 56 minutes on our second. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's been a... It's been two weeks since we've had a chat, so. It's good, man. Good catching up, and I got to run. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Catch you later.